fresh out of the oven. It's Cinema Bums. I'm Emmett. And I'm a one-eyed, one-horned, flying, purple people <laughs> Cinema Bums is a podcast where we watch through every single movie in popular film franchises, one each week to try and track how the storytelling changes over time. Today, we are returning to our miniseries, Can't Stop the Peeling, covering every film written by Jordan Peele. We will fully spoil today's film, nope, but we will not spoil any future entries in the series. Wade, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Emmett. I'm... I'm recovering a little bit from a cold, which I don't know if listeners will hear in my voice, but I'm very excited that after 52 weeks of counting down, we've finally seen Nope. Yeah. The year of Nope comes to a stunning conclusion here. (laughs) Truly. How are you doing? How are you doing? I am unnerved. I'm about an hour and a half out of the theater or something. Uh I am freaked out. I really don't know what I just beheld. Definitely want to watch it again. Excited to, you know, really, I feel like a lot of these movies we either come to with like some takes or some ideas or some preconceived notions. But this is really like, I just want to sift through this one with you and understand what the hell is going on. (laughs) Uh, Yes, I agree. But can we start with the very brief stats for this film? Jordan Peele's Nope. This is the third film directed and the fifth film written by Jordan Peele. It was released July 22nd, 2022 by Universal Pictures, three and a half years after us. Uh, The score is once again by his composer, Michael Abels, who composes all of his movies. Abels also composed the excellent 2020 film Bad Education Hmm. in the break. Uh, I know a lot of you have not seen that. It's on HBO Max. Uh, probably Hugh Jackman's best performance, so go check that out. Good score on it, too. Uh, we don't always talk about cinematographers, but this one was shot by Hoyt Van Hoytema, who is Christopher Nolan's cinematographer, who shot Dunkirk and Damn. Tenet, also shot this movie. Damn. Also appears in this movie, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe the cinematographer is at least partially inspired by him. The part where that man comes in with a like hand-built crank IMAX camera yeah. is so cool. Yeah. This film runs two hours and 11 minutes, which is 27 minutes longer than Get Out and 15 minutes longer than Us. It has a budget of $68 million compared to Get Out's $5 million Damn. and Us's $20 million. Damn. It opened this weekend to a respectable but not huge $44 million, and it got positive critical reviews, 76 on Metacritic for Nope, compared to Get Out's 85 and Us's 81. Mm -hmm. Before we talk about the plot or anything else, I wanted to say I have heard over the years from several listeners who say that they like to listen to our episodes about horror movies. Because they want to be in the know, but they don't like watching mm-hmm. them. I want to hear your thoughts on this, Emmett. I think that this is a very manageable movie. I would think that most people could watch this movie as compared to Get Out and Us. I mostly agree with that. I do think that anybody who thinks they are too scared for scary movies most of the time would be able to handle this movie in a really interesting way that I would 
really like to get into and like about how this is a family movie with almost like with no children in it, Hmm. which is, I feel like rare and something that Jaws did and something that Spielberg like never really like none of the other huge Spielberg movies do that. Like there's there's always kids in the later ones. I mean, there's kids in Jaws, but they're not the they're not the heroes, you know. So there's, mm-hmm. there's something crazy going on there, but there's like, this is like a family summer jump out of your seat sort of movie and not jump out of your seat in fear. Something else. It's crazy. Right. It's actually, yeah. actually insane. <laughs> and no, ah, yeah, yeah. But watch it. I think this is really one yeah. where it's like, like us, but even more so because it's still in theaters. I urge the, the listener if you're listening to this because you think you might like to watch the movie, do you watch it first? Like you turn this off, watch mm-hmm. it first. Uh, then come back and hear our interesting things to say about it. But like, seriously, it is so wild and such a thing. And I think, I think this opening weekend's 44 million, I think is not going to reflect the lasting popularity. And like, I feel like people are going to be like talking about this movie and like, you know, like what, yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I definitely think so too. And I would also say go watch it in movie theaters. I would say pretty close to the original Jurassic Park in terms of level of scariness. Mm. Obviously, the effects are a little better. So maybe it's a little scarier today than that is. But like, it's a film unlike Get Out and Us, where the scariest things are heard and not seen. Mm. Mm-hmm. where you are sort of aware of what is happening and you are listening to it happen, but you are not visually seeing it. It's certainly less like violent and gory than yeah. even Stranger Things yeah. this last season, I would say. So yeah, that's what I want to say. I, I think that if you don't like scary movies, but you do sort of like genre stuff, you could probably handle this and you should definitely watch it before listening to this episode. I wasn't even fully sure about this. Is this film rated R? It is. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of oh, language. There's a lot of language. I feel yeah. like that's probably the main R-rated thing. Yeah. And there is like some blood, but it's mostly like blood on people's clothes yeah. after they've been through something scary that we have cut around. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> how do you want to... I don't know how you want to do this. Emma. Do you want to talk through the plots? Uh, okay. Do you want to go by big ideas? Uh, how should we? Okay, just to put it to put it very simply, I will, I will try. Uh, this film is about <laughs> a brother and sister who are horse wranglers for Hollywood in the only black-owned like horse wrangling ranch, horse film wrangling ranch in Hollywood. It's OJ and Emerald. They kind of have a contentious brother-sister relationship. Their dad died six months ago in a freak accident where a coin fell out of the sky and uh, went like through his through his face. And it obviously really messed up uh, OJ, who was like right there when it happened. Then mysterious stuff begins happening on their horse ranch. (laughs) The power going out, the horses freaking out and the horses disappearing. We come to find that there's some sort of giant flying saucer that is maybe abducting horses at first is the thought. Then there is this side plot where there's a character who owns another ranch that is kind of like 
a theme park rather than an actual ranch where they're raising horses. And this guy has this strange traumatic past that is alluded to in these very interesting, what I think is the scariest stuff in the yeah. whole movie. This yeah, I agree. very crazy scene where as a child in the 90s, this guy was a child actor in the 90s. He had a TV show with a chimpanzee. And one time the chimpanzee went berserk and attacked the cast and like nearly killed a person. I think killed several people. It could have, yeah, it could be that it killed several it's people. Not, it's not totally clear. It's yeah. not completely clear. The person that you definitely think dies, you find out later did not. Yeah. In what is also one of the scariest shots in the film. And also one of the scariest shots from the trailer, which I think mm-hmm. also, okay, oh, I, we need to talk about how the trailer <laughs> completely yeah. misled people into what this movie was going to be. And how genius that Uh was. I think we should devote some time to that, but we can't talk about it now. Anyway. I agree. That is going on. Uh, There's this traumatic history for this other other guy, and his name is Jupe, Jupiter. Yes. So this guy has this other ranch. Uh, There's this thing where OJ has been selling off the family horses to this ranch because they're broke, and he's trying to, like, feed the horses that are still, that he's still able to keep. As this is going on, they decide, oh, we need to get a video image of this UFO that we're seeing to prove that it's happening. And then we will make money off of this. And this is his sister, Emerald, her idea. Uh, So they go and they enlist the help. They don't really entirely want to enlist his help, but they kind of have to, of Angel, a guy who works at the video store where they're buying all the surveillance stuff. Um, he comes and helps them. Turns out he's a big ancient aliens um, conspiracy theorist as well. So he like really gets in on the whole mission of the thing. They reach out as well to a crotchety old cinematographer um, whose name is Ant- Antlers Holst, which is just, <laughs> I mean, come on, come on. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Uh, he, he like embodies every, Artur cinematographer stereotype that you could possibly think of so beautifully. Uh, he's just sitting there he's in saying. his house watching videos of animals kill each other. Uh-huh. Just like old black and white images of a tiger fighting a python. Incredible. Yeah. I, I mean, he looks like he's modeled after Denis Villeneuve plus 20 years style and look wise. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's a good call actually. Anyway. So they enlist this guy's help and they are going to catch an image of the thing. The tension just like mounts and mounts and mounts. Things get scarier and scarier. It turns out that the flying saucer is actually just like a flying mouth that eats things. It's a being. It is it is on its own. Yeah, it is on its own, just a a thing. Uh OJ decides that he has that well, not only are they going to get the shot, but he's going to try and he realizes that it's a creature and he's going to try and break it the way that I suppose that he would break horses or break a predator. At the same time, they uncover that Jupiter has been has known about this thing and has been like setting up horses, has been buying horses and like setting them up to get abducted as a show for people to watch mm-hmm. um, and has been making money off of this. Yeah. But that's not revealed until very late in the game. 
Jupiter has been buying the Haywoods horses. Yeah, the Haywoods horses. As they have been struggling financially, and, our yeah. heroes. And it is maybe also sort of implied that that has something to do with the creature haunting their ranch as well. Uh, or right. being around that it wants, you know, yeah. the horses. Yeah. yeah. And then OJ has this intense and beautiful confrontation with the thing, which also we should talk about its like final form thing. Yeah. Yeah. Truly disturbing. Yeah. I thought that was wild. And it starts like shifting and morphing. It's like, what does that mean? What is that? Oh, I hate it. It, It's sort of like inflatable, like a bouncy house Uh at first is like how it's portrayed in sort of the end of the second act is that it abducts everyone at Jupiter's show. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And in what I would say is the scariest moment in it, we cut for like a like completely unexplained 30 seconds to what I guess we think is a woman being digested within the creature, which is just like in between two like inflatable walls very tightly being like forced through it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really freaky. So it looks sort of like an inflatable saucer all the way. And then at the end, it like opens up into all these like flags and kites and crazy. I read some people saying that it matches the biblical description of an angel. Oh, interesting. And also some people say that it looks a lot like the angels in the anime show Evangelion. I've also heard that. So I don't know. Okay. Well, I have a whole, I have an, a whole like biblical theory about this too that has to do with the horsemen of the apocalypse. So I think there's there's something to all of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So then in this truly wild confrontation, um, it looks as if OJ sacrifices himself to the beast so that his sister can escape. She gets down to Jupiter's ranch and in the classic like final girl outsmarting the monster gonna kick its ass also very reminiscent of the ending of Jaws which this movie bears massive similarities to yeah she releases the giant inflatable Jupiter which the creature attacks and eats and then it just explodes inside it it's a it's a giant helium filled balloon and that kills the creature exploding it in the air and then we get the final image or as emerald takes a picture of this as it happens at the very end she sees like framed in the perfect like framing of the weird chintzy theme park ranch her brother like riding the black horse clouded in in dust and just there wow which is awesome. Which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> she uses uh, Chekhov's well, which yeah. we see <laughs> earlier in the film to take the final picture to get the Oprah shot yeah. that we've been talking about the whole movie. Um, and she also earlier does the Akira motorcycle slide on an electric oh. bike, which is so cool. Speaking of anime. Hell yeah. Well, wait, this film, Flopper Bop. It's a bop. Five stars, Angel. Five stars. Hell yeah. I thought it was worth the wait. I think it's great. Not necessarily what I was expecting. And I think I was even expecting something a little different than the trailers. And it was Mm -hmm. yet still different in ways I wasn't expecting. 
feels like a real throwback, old school setup payoff. You know, you mentioned mm. Jaws. I think that's a big inspiration. Yeah. A movie where you get to know the characters and they slowly set up everything that's going to pay off in the big third act. Yeah. A movie that is really tight in its scope of characters, too. Yes, I I would say this definitely felt like a COVID movie to me, mm. but it felt like I would say the best possible outcome yeah. of any COVID movie, uh, where it doesn't feel like small in scale. Mm-hmm. It feels very purposeful that it is about people who live a very isolated life and sort of them fighting like a giant monster. Mm-hmm. So it it is very Spielberg. I also want to say it's very John Carpenter. Mm. I think he's another big influence on Jordan Peele. Uh, Keith David plays the dad for like three minutes, who is um, one of John Carpenter's muses uh-huh. in the thing and then they live and stuff. Mm. And And very much as we were saying with the final shot, like it is a classic John Carpenter thing that like it just ends. Mm. Like in Halloween, like, she throws him out the window. She looks out the window. He's gone. It's over. Credits roll. Yeah. This and also us, but this especially is very much like the monster explodes. They got the shot. He's alive. That All of that happens in like 20 seconds and then credits. It's done. Yeah. Really loved it. Emmett Flopper Bop. Bop for sure. Yeah. This movie is incredible. And it's one of those movies where you're like completely invested in what is going on from the like the very beginning completely immersed in the movie and going wherever it's taking you mm-hmm. to an alarming degree uh i saw it by myself in an empty theater so i thought this movie was very scary but that was that was just because i saw a terrifying preview right before i walked in like to see one preview i did too was it barbarian oh no i saw one for this movie called smile that was absolutely much scarier than anything in the movie to me no there there's just a couple it was of terrifying there's a couple of jump scares in in this preview and it just like ugh. And so, and I was in this theater by myself. So the whole time, I was just like, uh, uh, uh. So everything was way, way scarier than it would have been under normal circumstances. But it was great. And yeah, just, just like, what is going to happen next? Things like, like the different reveals in this movie, incredible. And just like so ominous, like Get Out and Us, just so much dread, I think, is the sense that this, that this movie evokes. You know, yeah, I think that he trusts his audience so much, mm-hmm. which is something I love. There is like a flashback pretty early on in the movie mm-hmm. to the siblings as kids with their dad. And it's like clear that it was kind of contentious that the dad liked OJ more. And they do this like ICU pointing eyes thing. The two siblings do to each other. Mm-hmm. And that pays off in the final act mm-hmm. when they do that again. Any other director, I feel like, would have, like, hammered that home so much. Like, we would have seen, like, three or four long flashbacks yeah, of, like, torture dialogue scenes cutting between. We would have seen them do the ICU thing, like, five times throughout the movie yeah. to set up when it finally pays off. He just does it, like, so quickly, and he trusts you to remember it, just like the well. Yeah. Or like any other number of things throughout this. And it's just as strong when it pays off at the end. 
Yeah. Because the trust is deserved. Like we, you know, we can follow a movie. We don't have to have it signpost a million times. And that makes it so much more exciting when it happens. Also, and I think we just need to come out and, and say this as part of the reason why this movie absolutely kicks ass is Daniel Kaluuya is, has gone to new levels. Oh, yeah. He's gone to all new places in this movie. Incredible. Incredible yeah. lead performance. Everybody else, also great. But his, like, where he is at for this entire movie, you are tracking everything. Yeah, and it's such a different performance from ones we've seen from yeah. him, like in Get Out or in uh, Sicario. I feel like mm-hmm. those characters, even in Judas and the Black Messiah, is a little more like powerful and high status of a character. Mm-hmm. But all of those characters have this sort of like smirk to them, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And this character is like very quiet. He's very reserved. Uh, he reminded me a lot of one of my brothers. I think it smartly starts off with you see him like in inaction twice in a row. Mm. You know, like the dad gets hit mm. and he has seen that something is bad, but he's just like stuck still for a minute. Yeah. And then it cuts to him on this film set where like he knows that the horse is being disrespected, but he can't like properly communicate until his sister gets there. Yeah, But it's not like a slow character or like a character who's like crippled by his fear or anxiety. It's just like a quiet guy, a very specific guy who is, who is always watching and observing, but is not necessarily going to be the one talking, you know, like, and like you can feel the weight that he is carrying of the, the ranch, like on him at all times in the movie. I feel like you can, you can see it as it's incredible. I mean, I think all the performances are really good, but also especially, I think, Kiki Palmer as Mm, mm -hmm. the sister Emerald is so good. Uh, She's an actress I've loved forever. She was one of my first, like, crushes as a kid on TV. But she's someone who I feel like is um, very funny in interviews and on social media Mm -hmm. and has this great energy and feels like she hasn't been used in films, like, to give off that energy. Mm -hmm. And in this movie, she is so, like, bouncy. Like, it is such a funny dynamic. Yes. I mean, it really is kind of like a Key and Peele dynamic, right? Between her and OJ. Yeah. I'm not totally sure which of them is the protagonist, if I were asked that question. Hmm. But Yeah. What? I mean, I feel like asking what does it mean as the beginning of our general discussion question is kind of tough. So, actually, let's let's check back in with that later. But like, let's check in with some of like the big images or big ideas, uh-huh. things from this movie. Yeah. Okay. This whole subplot, the whole opening and a significant chunk. Also, this movie has chapter titles in it. Which are all named after different animals they are wrangling. Basically. Yes. It's, it's three of the horses. It's the chimpanzee. And then it's jean jacket which is their name for the alien or the monster yeah. whatever it is this gordy bit there's an entire bit and it's how jupiter comes into the plot it feels like those things are running are like almost parallel plots they're in the same movie for a reason there has to be like you know like a connector but it yeah. seems like those two, like the events, if you're tracking like the events, like those people all get abducted and eaten, like they don't end up saving them or anything. So, you know, like that plot just kind of 
ends, but what is it? What does it mean? What is the hell is going on with it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting. I think the biggest connection mm-hmm. between it and the rest of the movie is this like idea that you can't really control an animal, right? Mm. Like you can respect it and you can in some ways like teach or wrangle it. But I think what OJ says is you have to play by its rules. Mm -hmm. Like you can learn its rules and establish rules with it, but you can't think you control the animal. We see that happen time and time again in this movie. And I think that the chimpanzee is the biggest form of that. Mm. There are several weird things that happen during the attack Uh that we can talk about. But I also think to your point that those people all still get abducted, like there is this interesting thing that he has not really uh, processed the trauma. Yeah. Emerald asks him about it at one point in the movie and he's just like, oh, they got it right in the SNL sketch. Yeah. Uh, sketch. Sketch. Yeah. S- uh, skit and sketch. So he's sort of like deferring to the funny pop culture version of the event he's like made a museum out of it and yet we keep seeing in like quiet moments that he is haunted by the memory of what happened even though he isn't talking about it and he is he has like found a way to actively profit off of it okay so at the beginning when i first saw this i thought that and like, especially with like the horses freaking out whenever the aliens were near, I thought it was like the aliens drove the chimp crazy by accident or on purpose and did it attacked. Uh-huh. And then later when you see the full scene of it, it's the balloons popping and scaring it. So your, your thought about it being like the uncontrollable aspects of an animal, it seems like more in line. But what is this with the shoe? Yeah. So in the middle of it, we see Jupiter as a kid, like hiding underneath this table. His face is covered by a tablecloth that he's watching through. And he's watching the chimpanzee like attack all of his co-stars. And in the middle of it, one of the characters' shoes has fallen off and is like pointing straight up at the sky in like a really alarming image. You know, like a bad miracle is what OJ says. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, something yeah. that should not be happening that is happening. I don't really know what that means. Maybe we're supposed to think that the aliens were there and that is like some sort of suggestion yeah. that things are off. Maybe it is just like a random thing because the other thing is that Jupe is like focused on that and not on the chimpanzee. And the chimpanzee does not attack him. Yeah. It goes in for what we think is its fist bump, which is like the thing that, that it does with his character on the show. Uh-huh. And it doesn't get to complete it because it gets taken out by the police. So did it not attack him because they did have a real connection? Did it not attack him because he was looking at the shoe instead of it? There's this whole thing later about on. Don't about look at Don't look eye. at it. Yeah. Or was it that because of the tablecloth, it couldn't see where he was looking? And that's why he didn't read it as a threat? Like, I I don't really know, but the shoe feels very significant. The shoe does feel very significant. And it's also displayed on the wall in, in a very prominent place. We've seen it before by the time we see it in that scene because it's displayed on his wall in the little museum. 
Yeah. So it's like, we know that she was very important to him. And then we see it there and we're like, what is going on with this? Also, also, we see the girl again, who you assume is being like killed in that scene by the, by the chimp. We see her again as an adult with the whole scarred and messed up face. Mm -hmm. That is the image from the trailer, which was freaking me out the most when I was thinking about going to watch it. But it turns out she's the survivor of that. And then she's there. And then she also gets abducted. Yeah, which is a rough rough go. go for her. But also it looks in that scene when everyone's abducted that uh, Jupe is still on the ground and everybody else is getting pulled up. Hmm. But we never see him again either. So it's, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that image also stuck with me the most from the trailer. I was a little worried from the trailer that it was going to be the horror movie thing of like disfigured people are scary, yeah. you know? Or at least like disfigured people are evil, are monsters. And it definitely isn't that at no. all. Like you are seeing the horror of what has happened to her and she's like this lovely, sweet background figure throughout yeah. who has horrible things happen to her. This is all based on a real thing. Did you know this? I didn't. I I did not know that. It isn't exactly the same, but it's based on this incident in 2009 with Travis the Chimpanzee. He was in Coca-Cola commercials. He was on the talk show Maury. He was a showbiz chimpanzee. His owner, Sandra Harold, was 70 years old. She, I believe that he got loose. She called over her friend, another adult woman, Sharla Nash, to try and like find him and bring him home. He saw the friend holding one of his favorite toys, Mm -hmm. which was a Tickle Me Elmo, and he attacked her. And the description here is that she had her hands, nose, eyes, lips, and face mauled and eaten by the chimpanzee until a police officer showed up and shot him. And it was the same thing where like she... She lived, she's still alive, she went into surgery and had seven hours of reconstructive surgery and they basically like put a new face on her body. And I don't think she has hands. I've like seen pictures and interviews of her since. And then it was later revealed too in the autopsy that the the chimpanzee had Xanax in his body Hmm. and on his teeth, which was probably part of the freak out and that his owner who regarded him as her son and his only, her only remaining family member, she died like very shortly after he died. Yeah. So that's super sad. Yeah. This really sad, violent example of the same thing happening in real hmm. life, basically. Damn. I also thought it was interesting that they call out in the movie that you can't use chimpanzees on, on film sets and they have to be CGI. Uh huh. And then that character is, I mean, like, it, it looks great. I'm not saying it's bad, but you can sort yeah, of tell in the close-up of its face that it's CGI and that all the horses and the other... They are definitely real. So I thought that was kind of interesting, too. Huh. Also, you ever think about how freaky horses look? <laughs> um, like, just as far as the animal horror goes in this movie? Growing up, I was terrified of all animals. Mm-hmm. I was so scared of animals. I have slowly gotten more okay with some of them in my adult life, but I feel like every time I watch one of these Jordan Peele movies, they set me back. Nah. Because Us is all about how rabbits are so scary, and then this movie, 
a little bit with horses, definitely chimpanzees. Yeah. This movie is also about how clouds are scary, which I hadn't considered before, <laughs> but now I have to worry about. Yeah, for real. Damn. I don't know. What did you think of all the horses then, I guess? They're horse wranglers. Three of the five titles are named after their horses. The horses. And there's this whole thing about them being... Descendants. Yeah, they're claiming to be descendants of the first actor to ever appear in a film, which is a clip of a black man riding a horse. I think it's called Horse in Motion is the name of it. And they are the great, great, great grandchildren of that guy, allegedly. Yeah, no one knows no his one name. No one knows his name. Interesting. But there's something really weird about thinking about horses on film sets. Like thinking about just like having this animal that is like a pretty majestic creature just like there. Like, I don't know what they're filming in that first little scene, but like not anything cool and grand where somebody's like riding a horse across a open expanse which a horse might actually like to do it's just like i feel like there's a lot about hollywood in general in this movie yeah about like the exploitative nature of hollywood yeah and they're kind of living in in the shadow of the film industry yeah we see this like cinematographer too who obviously is a big part of it like Uh how far he will go to get a perfect shot Even Jupiter, who has made like this roadside attraction out of his connection to Hollywood, yeah. like and this like whole kind of grim thing is like they are over on the other side of the mountains from L.A. They're over in like the scrubby, arid desert lands in the hills on the other side, mm-hmm. uh, like away from everybody. Like at one point, he comments, "Like I didn't realize how far out y'all were gonna be." Um, you know, yeah. like they are out there. The theme park is like kind of pathetic. It's not like a big, cool theme park that people are actually coming to or anything. Yeah. Everything seems like shoddy and run down, you know, including their like their house, their farm, the fact that they're having to sell off horses, but like everything in that whole area too. the the fringe people of the L.A. film industry. And there is this whole like, like very bleak but realistic capitalist approach to this movie, which is like these people basically find proof of aliens, Uh right? Or at least find a new species. Uh I mean, this film is very much playing on UFO tropes, but it's kind of purposeful that you never hear anything about like what this creature is. Yeah, It could be a creature that's totally been on earth forever. You have no idea. But they basically find proof of aliens and their instinct is not like to claim credit for it, to research it, to do any of the wonderful things you see in Arrival. Right. They're just like, oh, we're going to make money. We can film it and make Which money. It, yeah. Yeah. Which feels real and feels real to these characters who are talking the whole the whole movie about how they're broke and about how OJ has like the uh, weight of continuing the family business yeah. on his shoulders. Yeah, I don't know. I I couldn't necessarily say I would do much different in that situation. But that is sort of like the capitalist yeah. brutality of of what it does to us, you know? I feel like that theme is like reiterated in a much stronger, like quicker, dirtier way with the TMZ guy who comes in. Oh, yeah. And yeah. is just like just there to exploit, just there to like put cameras in their faces. 
And this leads me into another point I want to make about this movie uh, uh-huh. beyond the TMZ guy, which is this movie has been talked about as a Western. And I think it is. Like, I think it fully mm-hmm. is. But one of the things that you find in almost all Westerns is guns and or a shootout. And there are no guns and no shootout in this one. But th- when they're setting up the camera shot, it's like when they're setting up like a like a sniper thing in an old Western or when they're, uh, you know, when the guy rolls up and he points the camera in her face, it's received with the aggression of him putting pointing a firearm at her, you know. So there's this whole other interesting thing of like the violence done by the camera itself. Yeah, that's a great point. And even this, the moment of the cinematographer like running up the mountain uh-huh to get the perfect shot is sort of played like someone running from cover to like have a big final yeah, stand. Exactly. Even the well is sort of like the shotgun under the bar, you yep. know, that's been waiting there the whole movie to get fired. Mm-hmm. So that is a really good. And like, even though it's not the taking the picture that kills, the, kills it necessarily. It's the, it's yeah. the explosion of eating it. But, but yeah, it feels like somehow being captured on film also destroys this thing. But the the movie also is doing that a little bit. At times, I was really reminded of Godzilla 2014 in the way that this is like very focused on the human's perspective and like, especially for the first two thirds, like cutting away from showing the monster. Very yeah. Much. Like our characters eventually are purposefully not looking at the monster. And then it, it is like the camera is also not like you see it in the background eventually at the very end they like give you what you want and you see the incredible spectacle stuff but for a lot of the movie especially when it attacks oj specifically and he's running and then gets like it's like right there and he gets knocked out on the top of the building and then it just cuts to later when he has woken back up you know so the it feels like the movie itself is sort of shot with that in mind too yeah can we talk about one of the best scenes in the movie which is the early fake out where OJ is attacked by what you think are the aliens you're expecting. And then end up being Jupiter's three kids in, in theme park costumes. Well, this was, it was the movie that I was expecting. That was like kind of the movie that I was expecting. Like the first three minutes of that sequence uh, before you find out that they're just kids when he punches one in the face <laughs> again in that scene he pull he reaches into his his pocket to pull something out and you're like he's about to like pull out a gun and, and start firing on these aliens he pulls out his phone and starts trying to film them yeah yeah so just to my my previous point but but yeah like they are too totally creepy especially the first one when it's like creeping down the hallway. I was like, I might not Uh be able to handle this alone in this theater. This is where this movie is going. (laughs) Yeah. It's so creepy. Yeah. And the first one who's sort of like, I don't even know, like does all these weird shapes with his body and you don't. And then there's like a second one there in the shot too, that you haven't realized at first until it starts moving. It's so well done. And that is also sort of what I was expecting this movie to be. Mm When you first find out that the UFO is the alien, uh-huh. I was like, oh, that's a cool take, but I am a little disappointed that I'm not going to get to see Jordan Peele like direct an actual alien yeah. invasion. Yeah. 
which is why I am glad that then at the end it opens up it like reveals its true true form yeah. and yeah it's almost like Cthulhu-esque like it's this completely different other form of horror that you haven't really thought yeah. about okay so to this point let's talk about the trailer and how yeah. this trailer really seemed to be leaning into that thing and mm-hmm. less cosmic horror that this is. Yeah, I think it was really smart. And I was actually not even for the show, just like getting out of it. I was thinking like, that is a really hard movie to market. Yeah, <laughs> because it is mostly quiet, calm character stuff. Yeah. Until the third act when it explodes and you don't really want to show that third act. Yeah. Like you want to keep that as under wraps as possible, but you also want to convey to the audience like how big and like summer blockbustery this movie yeah. is. So I get that they had a really hard task. Yeah. And I think it was so smart that you see like the little glimpse of what turns out to be the kids in the trailer. You see the woman with the disfigured face and you're like, maybe it's about aliens attacking this valley right. and people have like caged one that maybe they're making money yeah, off of it at yeah, this yeah, yeah. roadside attraction. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Cause they don't reveal that's a horse either in the cage in the trailer. Yeah. yeah. In the second trailer, which I do think was a little too. Spoiled. I never watched the second one because I didn't want it. <laughs> I had to see it in front of uh, Jurassic world. And I think in front of, Thor as well. The one thing having seen the movie that I think was too spoilery is that they reveal the like, if you don't look at it it won't attack you thing in the trailer. But the trailer ends with this big hero shot that I think is not in the movie. Oh, nice. It ends with this big western shot of what looks like a much more conventional UFO Uh sort of chasing Daniel Kaluuya on horseback. Oh, yeah. Which is a great image, but it's not actually how the movie plays hmm. out at all. So I think that was kind of smart too. But yeah. I also want to say for listeners at home, look up if you look up the posters for this movie, they did these character posters just of each of the main characters. Uh-huh. If you look at the one of Steven Yun, who plays Jupiter, uh-huh. to anyone just looking at this poster before having seen the movie, it looks like he's wearing a cowboy hat. Uh-huh. And when you look at it after seeing the movie, you know that that is the alien that is behind him. And it's not uh, a hat. (laughs) Okay, I can kind of see it now. That's cool. And his head is sort of in like the abducting tractor beam spot. Yeah. Of course, he's also the only character who gets like eaten of the ones who are the main. So, yeah. I just want to say in terms of the editing and pacing of this movie. This felt to me like the first movie I have seen in a while that was not sort of like either mangled or found in the edits. Mm -hmm. The first big blockbuster, you know, Mm. and maybe I'm responding to its deliberate, slow, old school pacing. But I think like when we saw Thor or even something like The Northman, like those felt like movies where they shot a ton of footage Top Gun Maverick 2, where they just shot like so much footage and then sort of found the movie in the editing booth. Mm -hmm. But I know we've seen some other movies recently where it feels like Candyman was like this last year where they Mm -hmm. shot a ton of stuff and edited it down, Uh you know, like cut a lot of plot lines out in the movie Mm -hmm. and sort of made it the most bare bones version of the movie they could. Mm -hmm. And this just feels 
largely like a movie where they like shot everything very purposefully and and used almost all of it. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It feels good to see something that is like so excellently pulled off. Can I ask you, Emmett? Yeah, what? Do you believe in aliens? Oh, it's such a tricky question. Uh, statistically, I believe in aliens. I feel like, remember remember when people were going to storm Area 51? <laughs> yes. And, and then, I do remember. And then I guess they had like, I don't know, a great sale at Taco Bell instead. And... <laughs> people did that or something i don't i don't know what happened actually but i thought we were going to find out the truth i'm excited to find out the truth but not personally i would prefer that somebody else find it out and tell me uh yeah how about you i mean pretty much the same i feel like uh, something has to be out there with how vast it seems like the universe is with all the planets we've found, like it seems completely unbelievable that only one of them would produce life of hundreds of thousands. But do I think they're here among us? I I don't know. I couldn't say. Not that I've seen. Yeah. But could be. Hey, another movie this reminded me of a lot mm-hmm. was The Vast of Night. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. My favorite movie of 2020. Highly recommended because I bet a lot of people haven't seen it. But another movie that is... It's very much about the same sort of thing, but it's kind of about like words instead of images, mm-hmm. which this movie is. Yeah. It's more about like language and and listening to what the descriptions of alien encounters could be like. Yeah. I don't know. Felt very relevant. Even some of the characters in it felt a little similar to me. Yeah. So that's another recommendation. That's on Prime Video. Definitely watch it and definitely like give it 20 minutes because it takes a minute to to click into the language that the characters are saying. But that movie is also like framed as a lost episode of The Twilight Zone hmm. that you are watching for the first time and kind of all of Jordan Peele's movies feel like episodes yeah, of The Twilight Zone yeah. that are like connected in some way. Were you expecting to see more of like a concrete connection to get out and us in this movie? I was never as convinced that it was going to be like, I didn't think that it was going to be Chris back from get out, which I did. I do. I mean, you see the antlers uh, at a certain point up on someone's wall. I don't know if this is the same world or not. It doesn't seem like it's the same world as us because yeah, there would just be a lot going on in that area of the world if that were the case. Yeah, I mean, I am trying to figure out. I think both of those movies have like a not a stronger, but a more concrete or a more direct and like clear metaphor going. Hmm. I don't know that it's stronger. I think whatever is being said in this movie is being said about 120 percent. So it's hard to say that it's stronger. It's just like, maybe not as, I don't know. I don't know. It really brings me to like, what do you think it means? What is it? Like, I feel like this is more clearly about something than us. Okay. I think that us is still a little more obscure and dense. Mm. And this feels like you were saying, like, very full on about something. I mean, the thing I took from it the most was that sort of like 
animal metaphor and that thing about control, mm-hmm. like that you can't, you have to play by the rules. You can't control sort of nature yeah. in that way. But I also think there is so much in here about Hollywood mm-hmm. and about exploitation and about, like you were saying, spectacle and cameras and like our need. I mean, I think it's a powerful metaphor, like that if you don't look at the thing, it doesn't kill you. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like you are still aware of it. You are still in danger from it, but it doesn't hold the same power over you if you are not looking directly at it. Hmm. And that feels very much sort of about like the thing where if you drive by a car on fire and someone is dying, like you have to slow down and, and look at it, you know? Yeah. Even though you know, like you know what's there yeah, and you know, there's nothing you could do to help. And yet still you look at yeah. it in many ways. It kind of feels like the last six years in terms of the news has been just that yeah. it feels like a relevant message. It's also interesting that it's just like a giant consuming mouth, all consuming, right? Just constantly consuming, which is interesting. too. That slowly digests you over a long period of time. Right. Because yeah, like the noise of it is the screams of the people still being digested. I don't know. I also think it's interesting that they win, though. I'm glad they do. And when I really think about it, I think all of the Jordan Peele movies have happy endings for the characters. So I don't think that's necessarily his MO for as much as people think of him as being like a harrowing, dark director. To me, there was a very clear moment where they should have stopped. So you know what I mean? Like there is this clear moment where they have figured out what it is. Right. They have figured out how it works. They have figured out what it wants and what upsets it. And that feels like the moment where they should quit. And instead they get the cinematographer involved Uh and they like double down on making a plan to get the shot. And it ends up perfect. Like they do get the shot and they do get rid of the monster. And that I think is an interesting ending for whatever it's supposed to represent, you know? Well, that's also like the thing that's like the jaws thing too. Yeah, I don't know. I I do just like agree with you about that. Like, I don't know the rubbernecking thing too, though. And Jordan Peele has even like talked about that a little bit in interviews about how that's part of what's going on. But that's also why we go to watch horror movies. So it's like a commentary, but it's also it is that thing too at the same time. True. Although this movie doesn't do it as much as his previous movies, it doesn't focus as much on the actual violent acts themselves it's like more interested in aftermath and more interested in people trying to capture it but yeah you know that's kind of like what the whole genre is about in some way it's expiating that sort of urge in a way that is uh you know not as destructive as going to a coliseum and watching actual people kill each other you know yeah that is really interesting i mean you are right that this is like a movie that is less interested in showing the things that are happening like someone getting mauled by a chimpanzee is is probably worse than someone getting stabbed with scissors in us Mm -hmm. and yet that movie like shows you in in all like graphic frightening detail in this movie you're you are stuck knowing that it happened but it doesn't show you yeah yeah i think this is this is one that i'm gonna be like thinking about for a while that will probably be more upsetting to me like on the drive home than it was in the theater you know okay i definitely had that experience 
in part because I missed the first five minutes of the movie uh-huh. because there was like a projection oh, issue. That sucks. Where the the film was like very small, and I went to ask someone about it. So I came in like in the dad seat. Uh, okay. And I think basically the only things I I missed were an opening quote and the opening cut of the chimpanzee. Yeah. But I also wondered if that's why I thought that this movie was less of a horror movie because when I looked at people's comments, so many people were like, it, it was so scary starting with the chimpanzee, wondering what happened, like it looking at you. And my experience of the movie was that there's like an hour of people talking before scary things start happening. You know, I do think that the chimpanzee thing does set the tone in a really real sort of way, but then it does, you're right. And take another hour before things get frightening again. So I think that, you know, that's like a classic thing in Jurassic park as well. It's like, there's that whole gruesome scene where the dude gets eaten by the velociraptor in the very first, at the very, very beginning. And then it's going to be another hour till we see a dinosaur. For sure. And which is great. If you're if you are watching this as a family, you can cover the kids' eyes and ears for the first five <laughs> minutes, and then they'll be great until they're already like so hooked on the story that they're ready to deal with a yeah. little bit more terror, you know? I mean that's that's certainly how like I was watching Jurassic Park as a kid, you know, or something like that. I think he unfolds the details of it in a very similar way mm. to like first you see it through the clouds cuts out the electric Mm -hmm. then you find out more about the storm then you hear it like it very slowly is setting up the rules and like giving you more details about it over time yeah and they don't show the monster until the third act sort of way too which is why i was so surprised when the aliens like the little walk around alien showed up at the beginning like in the first act, I was like, oh, whoa, we're really going there. Uh-huh. And then I was like, no, too smart. Yeah. Too smart to do that. Oh, Jordan's too too quick for us. Wade, who would you say is your MVP other than the protagonist? I don't know. I guess we're taking off both uh, Emerald and OJ. That seems rough because they're both so good. <laughs> Yeah, so if you take, I think I would give it to Kiki, but if we're taking off the two protagonists, Mm -hmm. it's a little bit of a toss-up between the remaining characters for me, but I would go with Michael Wincott playing Mm. Antler's Holst, the cinematographer. His character is so funny, kind of in the background, just like, you know, all of the stereotypes about like the cinematographer. He's sitting around, he's watching these weird old movies. And then like, it's so engaging when he gets involved in the uh-huh. plot finally. I love him acapella sing speaking purple people eater at the dining room table. Yeah. It's so freaky and I love all of the stuff with him in the end. I mean even you were talking about that camera guns thing, even the scene of like it's coming back around and they've got to reload the film in time uh, to yeah. catch it. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's on those old reels which look a lot like the old like old Gatling gun rolls or reels or something like that because it's all that yeah. same old like analog machinery. And also kind of look like the aliens that they have at Jupiter's claim. Like the old like Panavision uh, white yeah. two big lenses that we see kind of looks like the white face of the aliens yeah. that they're selling the little dolls that the kids dress up as. So interesting. I'm not sure I totally understand his final moment. I do get that he says earlier in the film like, 
the mountain you're dreaming of when you're at the top and everyone looks at you, you don't come back down. That is obviously what happens to him. Yeah. He climbs up a mountain and gets the perfect shot and then gets eaten along with his work. I'm not totally sure if that tracked for me with his character. Hmm. I feel like he would have protected the film, but maybe there's more. I, I don't totally understand about it yet, but he's my MVP. Emmett, who would yours be? It's difficult because they're both so good. Shout out to Angel, a really interesting presence in this film. But yeah. I think MVP has to be uh, Jupiter. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one shot where he where it flashes, it's done the 1998 flashback of the Gordy thing. And then it cuts back in and he is just still in it for a full like two minutes while his wife is talking to him and just like completely not there, not responding at all because he's still 100% in whatever like unprocessed trauma from that. And then she's like, do you want to try it again? And he said, would you believe? And then it cuts. I was like, that is the scariest thing I've seen. (laughs) I don't know. It was he, he, there's just like so much going on with him right underneath the surface. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then talking about him trying to tame a predator is interesting. And then it, it, it harkens back to the chimpanzee thing. He makes the same mistake again, perhaps because of the unprocessed mm-hmm. trauma. Yeah. Interesting. It's interesting because it seems clear to everyone that he has not process the trauma the right uh-huh. way, right? But I think as an audience member, you are thinking the whole time that like it's a defense mechanism and like he remembers he's still caught up in it. Uh-huh. And you're very much on his side and then it's eventually revealed that like no. <laughs> like no, he thinks that he could do this still for whatever yeah. reason. Like Maybe he thinks he did it once so he can do it again. But he, whatever it is, he has taken the wrong lesson from it. Yeah. And he, and you find out that there is some sort of like, this has been going on for a while. Yeah. He has been buying the horses from them. He's trying to buy their whole land. Yeah. He has been on this quest for a while. Yeah. Especially and, if he's already like made alien costumes to sell and stuff like that. Yeah. Like he's really gone all yeah. in. Shout out for me as well to Angel. Brandon Perea is a star. Yes. I felt that in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to do great stuff. He's fascinating to watch in this movie. He has great energy. And I love that he like survives an alien attack and then goes home and plays video games on his VR headset. Because that's like all he could do. <laughs> yeah. I Crazy. love that. And I love that the, one of the funniest moments to me is when he gets out of the car and screams and OJ's like, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> a little moment, but the set piece of him and Emerald having to run from their house into mm, the mm-hmm. van where OJ is on mm-hmm. the other side is another one of like the most tense moments. Yeah, it's good. Pretty much every performance yeah, is every, great. Yeah. And there aren't that many you know i saw that barbie ferreira was like fifth build as the other fries <laughs> electronics employee oh who's in this movie for literally 30 that's seconds hilarious. and i guess that's how few cast members there are that well wait do you have final thoughts uh, oh oh wait sorry i should ask you before final thoughts updated jordan peele rankings what is your new ranking of the entire can't stop the peeling um mini series now it's tough 
I would say number five, Candyman. Number four, uh, Keanu. And for me, number one still is Us. Still my favorite. Mm. I've gone a lot back and forth between this and Get Out. Nope and Get uh-huh. Out in terms of which I like more. It is tough because I feel like Get Out is like a perfect script. Mm. Like is so economical and so every single line means something, yeah. you know. I think at this juncture, I would conservatively put Get Out at number two and this at number three. Mm-hmm. But they're very different movies, and I'm really excited to see this again. I'm sure I'll see it several times before the next live-action Peel movie comes out. But I could definitely see it rising in the rank. But right now, I'll put it at number three. And in terms of final thoughts, I mean, it mostly is that I really loved it, that I think he's so good at, like, making movies that are entertaining that you do want to talk about after. I think that his directing takes a big step up. I mean, some of, some of like the Western third act stuff of this is so thrilling. Uh, Like the shots he gets of OJ on the horse and Emerald on the motorcycle Uh is so cool. And that's another big reason I'd love to see it in the cinema again. I don't necessarily really have any direction I'd like to see him go next. I feel like this movie kind of was a lot of the things I said on our Us episode I'd like to Mm. see, which is like a a little step back from being so into the rules and the connections and the Easter eggs. You know, in Us, it's like every single frame has like the numbers in it. Right. This is like this this film still has is packed to the brim with stuff like that, but is like much more, I think, of a straightforward story that works on its own and also a little bit less of a horror movie. So I'm excited to see whatever he wants to do next. Emmett, I guess your ranking, your final thoughts looking forward. Well, I'm a strong proponent of recency bias, so I'm going to throw this up there as my number two. I think us is still probably my number one. We'll go Get Out at number three, Candyman at number four, and Keanu at a still highly respectable number five. As far as like what I would want to see next, uh, I think he's busted himself fully out of being a um, prestige horror guy. Yeah, He can do whatever the hell he wants to next, basically. I hope he does more cool, creepy genre stuff. But I, f- I feel like he could fully do anything he wanted. The one thing I hope he doesn't do is get attached to a franchise, which I feel like he won't because he's yeah. already kind of a franchise in and of himself. So yeah. I hope that like the whole Monkey Paw Productions thing is enough to keep him away from um, doing, like say, a Marvel movie or some other yeah. thing like that. Uh, well, Candyman is kind of it's a kind of a franchise, but it's also like an indie horror franchise. So it it gets a pass on that. Do you think he could do a PG-13 movie? Because all five of these are rated R. I absolutely think he could. I think this movie could have been probably PG-13 with a little bit less blood and fewer swears. While I enjoy Emerald's personality in this movie a lot, like I do think that you could do the movie, a clean version of the movie, with not too much reduction of that same character energy. Yeah. You know? I, I think it's possible. It would, it would maybe not ring quite as true to who you would, what you know that character would say. But I think I, I certainly think he's capable of it. Especially, like I said I, up at the beginning, this is 
this is a family movie with no kids hardly and it's a movie about family too and kind of about yeah. coming together this weird guy who they don't really like at first angel from the from the video store coming and being a part of like being fully like part of their little crew at the end and i also think like a really tender and interesting version of a contentious sibling relationship yeah that i feel like oftentimes movies where there's like siblings who have any sort of tension then it's like all the way and they like hate each other can't speak to each other or it's mm-hmm. like they always get along it's 100 percent wonderful all the time and this movie really seems like an actual sibling relationship like you would see in the world yeah so i like to agree. like to see that I also just want to say this last thing, this last weird thing about the biblical horse theory. Oh, okay. Okay. So I got this, this little thought about how there's a white horse that his dad is riding at the beginning when he falls off, which is supposed to be like conquest or maybe the antichrist or something. And he's like pictured with a bow and his dad gets hit with like a bolt out of the sky. And it's like the beginning of the alien conquest. The second horse is a red horse. And that's like strife and war. The horse that the brother and sister were fighting over is described as being a chestnut, which is a red, like a reddish color of horse. And then, of course, Lucky, the black horse, is the Mm -hmm. horse that he gets to ride. That's the horse of famine, starvation, hunger. You know, like all of those things are kind of tied to the the idea of like the failing farm. He says he's always talking about he has mouths to feed. There's a giant mouth in the sky feeding on them, literally. And then death, which rides the pale horse and pale is never really exactly described, but the creature in the sky could also be kind of considered a, and you, Mm -hmm. you said it looked kind of like a crazy description of an angel. So there's that. It opens with a Bible quote. We know that he likes the like apocalyptic Bible stuff from us as well. So that's just my little brief little tour down that, (laughs) down that rabbit hole. That's cool. I buy it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, that's the thing with these Jordan Peele movies is you're like, he's he's thought about it. He's thought about it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like he is he is certainly if, if I thought about it after, after having just watched this movie and thought about it for 10 minutes, you know, he's thought about it. He's gone deep yeah. in that stuff. All right. Wait, um, before we go, I have a little quiz for you. I was tempted to do just a series of questions to which your answer would all be nope. But <laughs> I, I decided instead to do a classic bums the word. Uh, the theme today is movies about aliens uh, slash alien abductions. But give okay. me just a moment because I apparently have to uh, Venmo Caroline some money. <laughs> uh, your realistic depictions of sibling <laughs> relationships. Yeah, and our speaking of realistic depictions of you know sometimes contentious sibling relationships that still have a lot of love, hitting each other up for the same thirty dollars year after year, <laughs> um, just all the time. All right, here we go. This first film is in a family adventure from two thousand eleven. It's an animated film. It was okay. Released by Image Movers Digital and released by Walt Disney Pictures. Oh, interesting. Is it? It's not that Monsters versus Aliens movie. It is not Monsters versus Aliens, but you're in like the same vein. 
It's based off of a Berkeley breathed book of the same title of uh, famed Blue McCowney author. And get this, is centered on a kid named Milo. So, you know, what do you know? Uh-huh. He's grounded. And so he finally comes to understand the needs of his family and has to save his mother after she's captured by aliens. Hmm. I'm thinking of this movie called Home, but I think that's about the aliens rather than about a kid. Yeah. Is this Mars Needs Moms? It is! It's Mars Needs Moms! <laughs> Incredible. Wow. Excellent. Okay, so staying on the theme of animated film, this next one is an animated short from 2006, Pixar. Okay. It's a short science fiction film. The directorial debut of uh, Gary Ridstrom, who was a seven-time Academy Award-winning sound editor and mixer. Wow. I don't think I know. All right. This is Lifted, a short Um, film, a really cool little short film that I really liked. I can't remember which Pixar film it came at the beginning of. Oh, it says it was with Ratatouille. Okay. All right. Next film on this list is a 1977 film by (laughs) the king of the summer blockbuster himself. Uh, This is not exactly a summer blockbuster. But it is about aliens. Um, is this Close Encounters of the Third Kind? It is. I had no idea that came out the same year as Star Wars. Released the same year as Star Wars, poor thing. Uh, and much less emotionally satisfying. So, I mean, less satisfying basically on every on every level, unless you enjoy watching Richard Dreyfuss just like, freak out and make an ass of himself (laughs) uh there's plenty of that in jaws which is a better movie next up on this is a 2011 uh science fiction film set during the summer of 1979 it is kind of the original stranger things Mm, this is of course super eight it is. It is Super 8. A movie which I would hazard to guess has like probably aged really well. Unless it just feels like too much like Stranger Things now. Yeah, unless it's just too much like it. I don't know. Which of course like uh, it laid the groundwork for first, but yeah. Hmm. This next film is a 1954 independently made American black and white science fiction film Produced and directed by W. Lee Wilder and stars a bunch of people who we have no idea who they are. So won't even tell you. The film originated as a commissioned screenplay. It's about a nuclear scientist working on atomic bomb tests while collecting aerial data on a United States Air Force atomic blast at Soledad Flats. He loses control of his air aircraft and crashes. He appears to have survived unhurt, walking back to the airbest with no memory of what happened. On his chest is a strange scar that was not there before the crash. This seems crazy. He's given truth serum. He tells a story about being held captive by space aliens. Wow. I don't know. Is this, um, what is it called? Is this Plan 9 from Outer Space? No. Uh, but it's a similar movies. sort of title. Old movie title. Really simple name for like what would happen if there were aliens attacking. Um, I don't know, but it does sound like a movie I'd like to watch. Killers from Space. <laughs> and honestly, 
I'm going to send you the poster for this because it looks awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Killers from Space. All right. Next up on this list, we have got uh, a film from 2013. It is a science fiction horror, I believe. The Barrett family's peaceful suburban life is rocked by an escalating series of disturbing events. They come to learn that a terrifying and deadly force is after them, one which may have arrived from beyond the stars. It's from the same producers as Paranormal Activity and Insidious. Hmm. Uh, this poster is great. This Killers from Space poster. Oh, yeah, isn't that awesome? This is truly wild. Okay, 2013 about an alien attacking a family. I feel like I should know what this is. It's Bloomhouse. Yeah, I didn't, I'd never heard of this before, but it looks hmm. honestly pretty cool, pretty creepy. I don't know. I guess I don't know. I'm doing very poorly this quiz. Dark Skies is the... Uh, okay. Dark Skies. Neither has it ever heard of. All right, next up, another film from the king of the summer blockbuster himself. Uh, mm. It's from 2005. It stars the world's most insufferable actor. Uh, <laughs> this is, of course, War of the Worlds. It is. It is a, a movie with a truly crazy twist. And I'm seeing a screenplay by none other than David Kep. Wow. He should have David Kept that ending to himself. <laughs> Wait, what is the ending? The only thing I remember from that movie is the axe scene. Well, spoilers for War of the Worlds 2005, but the, the ending is that they're allergic to water and die. And that's also the ending of Signs. So... so it's a big rip. Or maybe they're allergic. Maybe it's not water. Maybe it's the like... They get COVID, actually, is what happens. Um, All the aliens get COVID from Tom Cruise, who was an anti-vaxxer, and <laughs> then they die. The narrator it says, in closing, the narrator explains the aliens' deaths were due to their immune systems being unable to handle the countless microbes that inhabit Earth. Yes, in closing, the narrator tells you that. <laughs> is it the ending that like his son, who you thought was dead for the entire movie, like walks out of a crowd? Well, it's not that you thought he was dead. It's just that you thought the movie might go and follow what the hell he was doing for a little while. And then mm. when it doesn't, you're like, oh, guess we're not. But yeah, that is what the end of that movie is. Um, next up is from 2019. Uh, this one looks really cool. This one is the story of Carl Merriweather, who believes he experienced an alien encounter at 10 years old and is now trying to reconnect with the Uf- UFO at the same location. Hmm. It's got a pretty crazy poster also. Is this Brigsby Bear? No. Okay. Um, I don't know. It's Skyman. Wow. Skyman. Who knew? Yeah. Skyman. Wait, what was the first one you said? There's some movie called Brigsby Bear. Maybe someone can write it if they've seen it. I've always heard it was pretty good. It was from around that time. It had Mark Hamill in it. And it was one of those movies that everyone was like, you just have to watch it because it's about something completely crazy that you don't think when it starts. Like, it's one of those movies that people are always like, don't look it up, just watch it. So I have never known what it was that was actually going on in that movie, but I've always wondered. Well, maybe someday we'll find out. This last film on this list is a 2002 American science fiction thriller horror uh, written and directed by someone whose name I won't say, or you'll know who it is. Uh, well, it focuses on a, an Episcopal priest and I guess a guy who plays baseball. And 
this is this is signs, I believe. Yes, this is signs. That is correct. Yeah, I guess you know that's also M Night Shyamalan's third movie. Oh, really? There were a lot of comparisons to that going into this. I feel like I was maybe expecting something closer to Signs, but it does mm. make sense that he would not make that movie since Signs already exists. Yeah. Actually, I've got one bonus round here. Okay. 2005, comedy family film starring Zach Braff, <laughs> Joan Cusack, Steve Zahn, Dan Molina, no less. How could such a movie ever be made? Drops wow. with a preview by Sting. Maybe not by Sting. Maybe R.E.M. Forget it. I don't know. A truly incredible movie. Um, a poster oh. that apes men in black. <laughs> I do know this. This is um, Chicken Little. This is Chicken Little. <laughs> Maybe the greatest spoof movie ever made. My main thought about Chicken Little these days is the tweet that someone made about how the first time that Florence Pugh would have encountered Zach Braff, her future boyfriend, is as uh-huh. a little child watching <laughs> Chicken Little. And being like, yes, that's the one. <laughs> Hilarious. Thank you so much. You have won the game with that excellent bonus round. Thank you. Woo-hoo. Up next... We have finally seen Jordan Peele's Nope, and although I'm sure we will be discussing it for years to come, the countdown for the summer of Nope has finally ended, and mm-hmm. we are going to get back to regular programming. Next week, we'll be returning with our uh, to our Spider-Man series, Webhead Summer, for Avengers Endgame, a movie that also barely has Spider-Man in it. Um, <laughs> we will also be returning eventually to our Jordan Peele series, in October for Netflix's Wendell and Wild, um, which we are very excited about, the animated film that he wrote. Indeed. The Nope countdown is over. It feels well worth having looked forward to a year. Unfortunately, Emmett, I must say that it is time to reset the clock because this episode is exactly one year until Greta Gerwig's Barbie is released into theaters. (laughs) No! No way! Oh, it's so good. Okay, well, look out, Barb's. Here, let's go because I, I have seen the pictures of Ryan Gosling and Margot Barbie, Robbie, Margot, Margot Robbie, Robbie, Margot Robbie, Barbie brought to life playing Margot Robbie playing Barbie, riding down the street together, looking cute looking fresh, looking fabulous, ready for it. <laughs> I feel like this is the summer of nope, big nope energy for this whole year, probably. Um, we can only hope that 2023 lives up to being the year of pink plastic cars <laughs> and, uh, you know, like lots of high glam fashion as opposed to being eaten by things. I did just see a headline where Ryan Gosling said that Barbie was the best script he's ever read. So, damn! Can't wait! Can't wait! Ryan Gosling of Blade Runner twenty forty nine fame. <laughs> True. Well, amazing. <laughs> until then, until whatever time you decide to tune back in, dear listener, stay frosted.
Cinema Bums is a production of DKG Podcasts. It is created and produced by Wade Lawrence Holloman and me, Emmett Temple. Wade also edits and mixes the podcast. Our theme music is by Zane Holloman, who you can find on Bandcamp, and our show art is by Autumn Beckner. Our social media is managed by Laura Bennett. If you like what you hear, please tell all your friends and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, the two best ways to spread the word about our work. You can also follow us on Instagram at cinemabums or email us at cinemabumspod at gmail.com. Don't flake on us. We'll be back next week. 